you braved the weather, the water, the rain, the tornadoes to be here. Congratulations. I can see that the left side of the room looks a little more spiritual than the right side. So you guys have to really bulk up in what you deliver today. Uh, today, I'm moving in a bit of a new direction, and I want to talk about uh, our dependence. This doesn't mean your offspring below 18 years old. Uh, this really has to do with the nature of being dependent, the opposite of being independent. Uh, we are a nation that values our independence um, above most other things. We are a nation that looks at independence as worth all that it might cost. And in general, human beings don't like to be dependent. We don't like it. We don't like somebody else to have that kind of control. And we're looking at this in the context of a reality uh, that I'm going to call uh, the already not yet. Uh, this is the already not yet, typically of the kingdom. We will get to that language a little further. But I want us to do a little exercise here in the room. Um, so let's see. We'll start with uh, volunteers being the entire front row. Very good. All right. Uh, yes, you need to stand. For those of you listening, we are going to create uh, something. Let's see. On the uh, far right, we're going to put um, Jeff right here. Jeff is going to represent the fall of man. <laughs> we're, we're, we're able to kind of go with how it really fits some of our people. Um, so it's going to go from not yet to already, I guess, is what we're going to do here. Uh, <laughs> that's why you work well together. There's a real harmony of already and not yet kicking in. Uh, and, and so the concept of the already, not yet, uh, is really language that was just closer to a slang than anything else, but describes a condition uh, that we have struggled to describe in other ways, and that is how you can have the blessing of God, the, the presence of God, the power of God, and still have such a screwed up world. How, how are they coexisting? And, and so we're going to look at how that is. Uh, so uh, since Kim wants to represent the already, uh, we're going to have her go down to this far end. Uh, and uh, let's see. Uh, Sherry can represent the not yet. Uh, she's going to represent the evil age, okay? <laughs> Sorry. She's my daughter, so I can... I can uh, no, actually, she does not represent that at all, but we're pretending. All right, um, and let's have, uh, uh, let's have John here. He's going to be right here, and uh, this is going to be the return of Jesus. I mean, he's got the beard going, whatever. All right. So this is the return of Jesus. Now, as we understood the scripture, uh, as, as we read the Old Testament, 
what we know is, is something like this is going to happen. This is what the prophets were looking for. There was the fall of man, and it said it introduced sin into the world, and it really transferred or forfeited our leadership, our governance of the world to Satan. And Satan became the prince of this world, the ruler of this world. And it became what's called the evil age. That's what the scripture calls it. All right, so what happens is the evil age is running until there is a Messiah, a Savior, the one who can change everything. And when the Messiah comes, the evil age is going to be finished. Bam, just like that. And then this is going to be the age to come. That's what it's called in the scripture, the age to come. And it's represented by language like no more death, no more crying, no more tears, uh, all this, you know, everything awesome. You won't be fat. You won't lose any more hair. I don't know. It'll be great. All right. So, so here we've got bad, good. Right here is the demarcation line. Does everybody get that? Good, bad. So if you're listening, we just got a line in front of the church and everything from Jeff, the fall of man, all the way over to the second coming is the bad age. And Sherry represents this area, growl or something, do something that, that makes this cool. All right. So, so Kimmy is not growling. She's saying we love you, and Sherry is growling, and that's kind of how it's set up. So, um, so then, so this is the picture. This is the picture, okay? Now, imagine this issue. Imagine this problem. Um, Jesus does this thing that we can actually see it in Scripture when you look backwards. You know how that is? The 2020 vision is backwards. We can see it in the Scripture, but Jesus does this. He comes into the world before that time. He enters the world, and he brings the power of this age right here, of the Kim age, no more crying, no more death, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, and he begins to reveal the power of just such a kingdom. He reveals that that kingdom is indeed real. Number two, that kingdom is a kingdom that he has the power from that kingdom. He demonstrated over and over again. Did he come to heal all the sick? No. He didn't heal all the sick. Did he come to raise all the dead? No. You didn't see him in the cemeteries pulling people out of the graves. What you saw is he came to reveal that he is from there and that he has the power to overcome this age. He has the power to do it. He has the power to overcome the power of the evil age. And what he does, the language used, is he invades the evil age. And the, and the demons that he cast out of the man said it this way, what do you have to do with us, Jesus? It is not yet our time. You see, the demon knew it wasn't time. This is a timeline. And it wasn't time for the demon to get cast out. And he knew it. He says, why are you here? What do you have to do with us? We know who you are. You are the son of God. And it is not yet time. And Jesus, like, we, we are the gods of time, dude. You're busted. 
So he casts the demon out. All right, so here's the deal. Where I'm standing is at the evil age. Yes. It is. Still is. We still have death, crying, pain, corruption, anger, hurt, all that. Where I'm standing between these two, is it the age to come? Yes. These two ages have been overlapped. And so Kimmy's power began here. Jesus brought his power and what he does, and then he inaugurated a people to do the things he did. And he says, you do what I do. And someday, I'm going to return, and I will finish it. So in between these two, what you see up there, the Christian community, that is the age of the already and the not yet. Why? Because the kingdom has already come. Why? Because the kingdom is not yet complete. Does that make sense? This is the world we live in. We live in a world that's characterized by the power and the reality of both. Thank you, guys. So this chart you see, the cross, the lowercase t, is the cross. That is the, the crucifixion of Christ, the R's resurrection. The P is a fancy word called parousia. Um, and, and so that is the second coming of Christ. Never, you don't have to remember that word. I'm sorry, it is the, um, the, the time in between. So what I want you to know is and understand is that our condition of dependence or the need for dependence is in that time. It's in the time when you're going to hear voices from both. It's in the time when you're going to see the effects and the power of both. It's in the time will there, be, there will be a maximum amount of deception for you. And there will be a maximum amount of the reality, the wisdom, and the presence of God for you. It's all there. You see, our desire to be independent in this season is our doom. Our desire for a set of rules, God give me a set of rules that I can follow so I can be on my own. Just tell me, God, is this right or is this wrong? Are these people going to hell or are these people going to heaven? Just give me some black and white so I can live. We love black and white. Why? Because we don't need Jesus to help us today. If I know how to live, I know what to do, I know where to go, I know how it's done, I know the rules of right and wrong, I know that if I mess one up, then I can go and I can ask forgiveness and I'm set free and blah, 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 blah. I really don't need Jesus. I just need to know the rules 
and what, what to take, what serum to use if I mess up. And I can also sit back and look at other people and see how they're screwing it up. I can look at them and see they're a sinner, they're a sinner, they're doing this, they just said that word, blah, blah, blah. We are able to sit there. We don't need Jesus to do that. We feel like we have a grasp of right and wrong. We know right and wrong. It's, it's why we can see a Twitter or a Facebook post that riles us up, and we don't have to check it out. We don't have to see the other side. All we have to know is, you know, they killed someone. How can that be right? For me, when you start living life and you realize that it becomes very great. I'll give you an example. Uh, Linda and I were on a vacation anniversary trip to Belize. I've traveled all over the world, many places. Uh, some more dangerous places and difficult places. Places where you're, you know, just categorically unsafe. I've always done well in those places. We were in Belize. It's an easy country. It's a stable country. Um, it's a safe country. They speak the language. You can drink the water. You know? Nice place. Beautiful. But in that place... I lost my wallet twice. I lost my debit card. So I started using Melinda's to get cash. I lost Melinda's debit card. I lost keys. You know, at, at this point, I mean, to Melinda's credit, she never like looked at me like, uh, do we need to like put you in a straitjacket or bubble wrap you or something? I mean, I was running out of things to lose. My thought was, what's going on? It started, it started playing with my head. It started ruining my trip. So, here's where we get into this language. Is it the devil? Is the devil attacking me? Is this a lesson? Is this from God? Is God teaching me trust or patience? Is it punishment? Is it the world? Is it sin? Is it my flesh? Is it that I'm just tired? Is it generational curses? we began to look for the cause. You see, if there's something going wrong, we want to know the cause. We want to fix it. We want to patch that hole. We don't want to deal with that again. Because there's not a place in our theology where we are comfortable.
and the imperfect not yet of the world. We don't want it to be not yet. If it's not yet, let's do something and get it all ready. And I believe many of us as believers live a frustrated life of never really quite knowing what is going on in our own life or why. And we go through reversals and we go through struggles and we're not sure. Is that my fault? Is it somebody else's fault? Is it nobody's fault? Do I, do I cast out the devils? Do I pray for patience? I'm going to give you the answer of what to do. You're going to have to listen to Jesus and be in a relationship with him in such a way. He works with you and he leads you. Whether it's Satan or generational curses or your flesh, an attack, a lesson, it's all the same stuff. It's a time in your, in your life, it's a moment where it's necessary to be led by Jesus. It is necessary to be led by Jesus. You can cast out a devil or try to. You know, you can throw everything you got at it or you can trust. So I'm sitting there in Belize, and the rain, the, the hurricane in the Pacific is pulling all this moisture across the isthmus of Central America. So we have this deluge in Belize. We're in the rainforest of Belize being rained on. I guess that's appropriate. And, and I'm thinking about this hurricane that's probably going to be a tropical storm by the time it gets to our house. But I'm thinking about our new house that doesn't really have any windows in it. I'm thinking about the wood floors. I'm thinking about the new sheetrock that can get saturated. I'm thinking about coming back to this terrible mess. So what do I do? Well, you do the same thing you do when you lose your wallet. You do the same thing you do when you get a speeding ticket. You do the same thing you do when you make a mistake or when somebody else makes a mistake. You depend on Jesus. Instead of reveling in our independence, we need to push into dependence. In the scripture, <clears throat> there's three ways that we can look at this already in addition to the already not yet. It talks about the, it doesn't, it alludes to, it doesn't use this exact language. The presence of the future. You see, that was where Kim was, is now breaking in to this evil age. The presence of the future. The already and the not yet. The enacted, inaugurated eschatology. I know you'll all love that one. And then the last one is living between the times. What these all say is, this is a powerful time of dependence. And in this place of dependence, you will be powerful, you will be fruitful, 
and you will be filled. Why? Because the kingdom has come. Because the kingdom is available to you and I. Because the presence of Jesus by his Holy Spirit is real. And it's for you and I in this time. The song that uh, was playing just before this, you were made for such a time as this, becomes the real mantra of the church. You were made for just such a time. We can look at this as being ambiguous. We can look at it as being difficult. But what it really is, is it's a time when we depend on Jesus to lead us in the places of power and darkness and deception. And we will not lose. Definition of dependence. I have two here. They're both out of dictionaries. The state of needing something or someone else for support or help, etc. The second one, the state of relying on or being controlled by someone else or something else. You see, we don't like that. We don't like that. We don't want that. And we think of anything, the scripture should be setting us free. But what the scripture does is it really demands, if you're going to walk successfully in the already not yet of the kingdom, that you will need to depend on Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. That's the bottom line. Are you going to wander? You're going to flounder. You're going to doubt. You're going to build lots of rules to try to make it all work. But at the end of the day, you're going to find your rules won't work. They won't rescue you. They won't satisfy you. They won't give you a confidence in your life. So you'll add another rule. You see, we need to get comfortable needing and relying and being controlled by Jesus. We need to be comfortable being controlled by Jesus. We need to be comfortable with this expansion and his limitations of our attitudes and our heart. We read in John chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, this is Jesus speaking. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We often misread fruit there to mean like, you know, saving souls and, uh, you know, raising the dead or whatever. But the fruit of the kingdom is love, joy, peace. It is, there, there are so many things that have to do with how you feel, how you, how you are on the inside that are the fruit of the kingdom. So when we talk about, you know, if you're not living in joy, if you're living in despair, if you're living in anxiousness, if you're living in this doubt, if you're living in this place, does that sound like the fruit of the kingdom? Remain in me. That's what he says. Remain in me. I am the lifeline in the already not yet. I am the juice in the already not yet. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I in them, 
will produce much fruit. So he tells you the truth here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't do anything. Apart from me, what looks simple to you will ultimately be upended by the enemy. Why? Because you can't make it all the way through without Jesus. When Jesus was leaving the earth, when he came back after being resurrected, it says that he was here for 40 days. Do you know what he taught them about for that 40 days? The kingdom of God. That's what he taught them about. And then when he leaves, he sends them. He's, he's going to send them out to be who and what he is in the world. But he says, before you go, wait. And my Father will send you the Holy Spirit. And it will empower you. It will live in you. And it will be what you can depend on in all the places you will go. It will give you the right words. It will give you the right thoughts. It will correct your thoughts that are wrong. It will give you correction. It will give you hope. It will be your greatest cheerleader. The Holy Spirit will take personal responsibility as you listen. The Holy Spirit's never lost a willing customer. When that spirit comes to dwell in us, the light of the kingdom, the already, and the, and the kingdom, you could describe it this way. It is the rule and it's the reign of God. And once the rule and the reign of God is resident in us, we become vessels of that. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 and 8. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. Do you see the already not yet here? We have this light in us, and, and it's great, and, but it's in this, uh, this fragile jar of clay. But you can see that it looks amazing because people can look at us as just an average jar of clay and know, well, that didn't come from him. But at the same time, look at their lives. You know, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Are your circumstances knocking you down? That's okay. But if they're destroying you, something's wrong. Are you perplexed? That's okay. But are you driven to despair and something's wrong? 
You see, the description here is one of dependence. The gospel did not come to give us a life that if we live by God, it's going to go easy. We are going to live everyday lives. We are everyday people revealing that an everyday person and an everyday life can live in the victory of God. But our secret is we are dependent on the one who gives life. We are dependent. We are willingly dependent. We surrender the independence because dependence will give us freedom and life. It changes everything. When our ministry, when our value, when all these things become rooted in our dependence, not in our gifts, not in our abilities, not in our ability to speak, our ability to pray for the sick, none of that is the real thing. The real thing is that we are dependent on Jesus. And in that dependence, all things are possible. Can I raise the dead? No. But Jesus can use me to raise the dead, and he will. Can I move faster than a speeding bullet? No. But if I need to, and Jesus wants me to do that, I will move faster than a speeding bullet. I suspect Philip moved faster than the speeding bullet when he was going to meet the Ethiopian because he was just there. You know, kind of an Einsteinian thing. Different message. Or not, I don't know. Philippians 3, 7 through 9. This is Paul speaking. And after, before he says this, he talks about this litany of all his accomplishments and his zeal and his religious skill and how successful he has been in all these things. And then he comes back with the reality that none of that will do what dependence will. I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. When we hold on to other things, we're eliminating space for Jesus. What Paul is saying is, I'm cleaning it all out. Anything of value, I'm going to compare it to Jesus. I'm going to make that comparison, and then I'm going to make a decision. And I am going to be a person completely dependent on Jesus. Paul's success was not in his gifting, not his ability to speak or write, not even hear God, not in the miracles that he took part in, but his success, his legacy, his heritage, is that he was dependent on Jesus. 
so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Jesus. He even surrenders the things he does right. He surrenders the things he does well. He doesn't look at those things as things to be held on to as accomplishments or ornaments, but he sees them. If they exist, they're a glory to Jesus, and I'm with him. The, the image he tries to give is my effort. Um, come up here. My effort is I have all these accomplishments, accomplishments, these gifts, these skills, these abilities. I have them all. But he saw them as separating him from Christ. And what his desire was is to be one with Christ. And all these things were a detriment. They were in the way. They were a struggle. They were a weight. They were a burden to the relationship. What he wanted was to be one with Christ. And the way he saw that was being dependent. Does that make sense? Not a single yes. I guess I'll have to keep going until you guys give me a yes. Not a, I, got, I got another eight hours here or so. so. I, am, uh, I am amazed at what a dependence in Jesus can do in all circumstances of life. You know, I was struggling with losing everything. And there were some other things that didn't go well that were troubling me. And I felt like Jesus really challenged me to trust him. He challenged me, why don't you trust me with your house? Why don't you do that? And this last Sunday, I'm sitting right here during the message, um, great message, and I look out here and I see the rain blowing horizontally like this from the north that would go directly into the windows of my living room and office. Did I say it would go directly into my living room and office? And I sat there, and my compulsion in the moment was, you got to go. You got to go take care of business. I mean, this is like, comes under like an emergency kind of thing, doesn't it? Your house is being flooded. That's, that's a justifiable reason to go. And then I got this image that Jesus gave me in Belize, where it's kind of this dome over the house. And I felt like he chided me, like, uh, are we still having this conversation, Bill? Are we still going down this road? Is that what, is you think that is my voice? I don't think it's his voice. I don't think his voice is saying, be afraid for your house. Run out of the church and go over to the house. I don't, I don't think that's his voice. I'm not saying he would never say, be afraid, get up and go to take care of your house. I'm, I'm saying listening to Jesus, being in relationship, answers the question. What is the question? The question is whatever he gives the answer to is the answer. That's the answer to the question. 
It's not black and white. It's the answer in the moment. It's called dependence. And I sat there and I thought, no, that's not his voice. His voice is telling me, pay attention. This message is good for you. And it was. And I decided I'm walking it out. So after I got out of church, I went to lunch with my family. And after that, we went to the house, not our house, but our apartment. We hung out. I never did go to the house. I didn't think there was a reason to. And on Monday morning, I got up and I went over to the house. A little bit of water, tiny bit, just the floor was a little bit wet. I mean, like get a couple of paper towels and get the water up. That's all that was there. I don't know. That probably hit while I was panicking about ready to run out of the building. I don't know. I'm kidding. I don't necessarily believe that. I, I'm saying we let circumstances rob our joy. We let circumstances bring us anxiousness. We let circumstances treat us brutally. Because we're not living in the dependence on Jesus. We feel like if it's going wrong, if it's difficult, if you're losing your wallet over and over, you know, if I need a button on your pocket, but other than that, by the way, I got my wallet back both times um, and canceled the debit cards, both of them. And, you know, and I have an amazing wife who said, don't worry about it. Philippians 4, 11 and on. This is Paul speaking. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Do you hear that? I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I want you to hear a couple of things here. I want you to see that the presence of Jesus allows us to be content in all circumstances. That's number one. Number two, I want you to see this is a learned condition. Do you understand what I mean by that? It's a learned condition. So, you know, I would love for it to be, Jesus, give me that contentment thing in all circumstances. Bam! And there I am. And I'm just really super content. Somebody runs over my dog or something. I'm really content. I'm just, just living content. You know, I look like Bob Marley or something. But, but the truth is, we learn contentment. We learn it by choosing to trust Jesus. To depend on him. Not on our rights, not on our money, not on our job, not on our intelligence, our skill. But we learn to depend on Jesus in all circumstances. When your wallet is gone, you probably need to depend on Jesus. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. 
and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, he did not see being hungry as a moral failure of God. But he saw it as a place to depend on God for his contentment. We're not there for the church. If there is a hunger issue, there has to be a failure. Somebody blew the assignment, and nobody else is around. It has to be God. But what if God can make you content, even hungry? What if he can make you content? Do you think God can do that? Do you think God can make you content hungry? Do you think he can make you content with pain? Do you think he can make you content when you are sleep deprived? When you're innocently incarcerated, can he make you content? He says he can. He says that he can have you experience joy in those realities. What, what Paul is describing is he exists and lives in an already not yet reality. It's not about the kingdom comes to make me never hungry again. The kingdom comes that I might be content in all circumstances. You hear the difference? We keep wanting to fix our life with the kingdom, and what God wants to do is fix you in the kingdom. He wants to fix me so that I'm not ruled by all the things around me. This is a, a psalm. Uh, God put this psalm on my heart a couple weeks ago, and I've actually had the opportunity to use it a little bit. And it's really a little bit further down from what we sang today. But I want you to listen to this psalm. The Lord is exalted. This is Psalm 113, 4 through... Uh, it's not 13. Uh, it's It's 9. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high? So it kind of gives this image of God. But then in 6, it says, Who soups down to look on the he- from the heavens to the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, he's doing things that redeem people. We like that language. But the one that catches my eye after he seats them with the prince and princess of people, so he makes it all really a great deal. So he does these things that redeem. But look at verse 9. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. He did what? How did he do that? He settles a barren woman in her home as a happy mother. What he's saying is, that hole in your heart from the dream that doesn't come true, from the loss that you experienced, he can make you happy and joyous. As if the whole, he can fill the whole. That's how he can make you and I 
content. Through dependence on him, we can experience that kind of life. I've shared this story before, but I think it, it's worth re-mentioning here. Uh, Iranian church planters um, in Iran and uh, the wife is American, and the, the husband is Iranian. And uh, when they were going to plant churches in Iran, she asked Jesus, if something goes wrong, who's going to take care of my kids? I had two small kids. He said, I will take care of your kids. What does that mean, huh? How would Jesus do that? So he got arrested, and they raided their home, and she got arrested. What she told her kids to do, go into mama's bedroom and sit on the bed. Jesus will take care of you. And they took her to jail. What she says is it was probably the most powerful worship experience of her life, being in a cement jail, worshiping Jesus. You see, she was able to be content in all circumstances. She depended on Jesus, and it set her free. With her husband, they lied to him. They told him they had killed his wife. And he rejoiced that she finished her race well. Who talks like that? And then he prayed for the guard to be healed. The guard had a physical problem, and the guard was healed. Who does that? People who walk in a dependence to Jesus. You see, we can superficially walk in this, you know, this pseudo-dependence, but the truth is every bit of evil in the world knows it's crap. And most of the time, you and I do. And that's why it becomes, I think, one of the more miserable existences we can have. How much are you willing to depend on him? I mean, really. When it comes to your children, your life, your food, your family, your, 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 your future, your marriage. How much are you willing to depend on him. How much do you believe he can deliver? And that you will have joy. You will have contentment no matter what the circumstances. If we could stand. <clears throat> 